Good morning. Hope each of you had a wonderful Christmas. And um, we certainly did. Our house was full. We had all of our children and our grandchildren with us. And uh, the minute they left, we pulled the vacuum cleaners and cleaned the entire house and washed all the sheets and everything else. And within three hours or so, two or three hours, the house was back to normal. <clears throat> but it was a wonderful couple days with family and little ones and little kids playing. It was really interesting. It was really fun. When the kids woke up at the crack of dawn each morning, we didn't have to worry about it. We just kept sleeping, and the parents could deal with it. That was nice. That was very nice. Let me ask you to turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. This morning, we have, we have reason to pray for one another right now with illness and COVID, potential COVID, going through the church a little bit. And please be in prayer for one another. And we trust that next Sunday, as we gather again, that the house will be full and that we'll all see one another and be able to worship and sing together. First Thessalonians chapter 5, I'm going to read verses 12 through 22. We'll look at three verses within that portion, but I want to read all of 12 through 22 to give you the flow. We ask you, brothers to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord. This is speaking of our relationship to pastors, of course. We saw that a few months ago. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, which would be in our dispensation preaching. Do not despise the communication, the preaching of the word, but rest I'm sorry, but test everything, hold fast to what is good, abstain from every form of evil. I want to just mention the flow of the text here, so you see kind of where this is going. These are Paul's uh, closing exhortations to the church in Thessalonica, and he covers a multitude of issues. Uh, In verses 12 and 13, of course, he does mention the believer's relationship to their pastors. We saw this a few months ago. How do we relate to our pastors? We know and respect them. We highly esteem them. We maintain peace with them. Verses uh, 14 and 15, we see the Christian's relationship to uh, those in spiritual need. How do we care for and minister to those in spiritual need? We admonish them. We, uh, we, 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 for those who are lazy and living an ungodly life, we cheer up those who are discouraged. We bolster those who are spiritually weak. Uh, we never return wrong for wrong. We always show kindness. Then in verses 19 through 22, we see the Christian's relationship to other Christians in the church. We are responsible to one another to aid the Holy Spirit in his work, verses 19 and 20. And we are responsible to one another to use biblical discernment in every area of church life, we see in verses 21 and 22. And stuck right in the center of all that, all that conversation about the believer's relationship to other people, you have verses, uh, the text we'll look at this morning, 
uh, verses 16 through 18. And here now Paul stops for a moment. He stops focusing on our relationships with other people. And he now focuses on the Christian's inner spiritual life. We, we treat others as God would have us treat them when we are truly walking with the Lord, when our inner spiritual life is what it should be. So he takes a few moments in the middle of all this and just focuses on, notice, 16, 17, and 18, our inner life. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So the following verses, or the, the surrounding verses, speak of how we act, what we do. And these verses, 16 through 18, stress more of who we are. What are we doing inside? Who are we inside? They, they address our inner spiritual life, and they command us to focus on and make progress in three areas. These are commands. So focus on and make progress in three areas, joy, prayer, and gratitude. Now, rejoicing and praying and gratitude, these are, of course, visible attributes. If someone's joyful, you will see it. If someone is thankful, you will see it, you will hear it. Uh, prayer is something that we, we hear. So these are externals, but they start as internals. They originate in a person's inner life. They begin in the mind and in the soul before they're ever visible uh, on the face or through the voice. If someone is, is truly rejoicing, if someone's truly a grateful, thankful person, this is something that's occurring inside, that's expressed outside, but it starts inside. That's why I'm talking about here our inner life. It is God's will, according to this text, that our attitudes and internal perspectives honor him. It is our will that, or God's will that our inner man be inclined toward him, that, that our inner man have a Godward orientation, a Godward leaning. And so he addresses that here. And so now we're talking about 2022, and as we think about 2022, this is a great, these are three great verses to consider. Our inner life. What is God's will for us? Now, you know, that's a question we as Christians ask all the time. What is God's will for me? Now, you maybe don't word it that way, but we should think of it that way. You ask, how should I spend my money in this situation? How should I spend my time? How should I respond to my spouse in this situation that I'm in? As far as rearing my children, uh, what should we do? What should we do next? In my job, how should I respond to this, this, and this? And so there are decisions made every day. And we ask ourselves, what should I do? How should I think? How should I respond? Well, really, we should think more in terms of what is God's will for me? How, how would God have me respond to this? How would God have me 
spend my money, spend my time, relate to my co-workers? How would God have me rear my children, counsel my, my children in this situation, care for them, and so forth? How would God have me minister to other people in my neighborhood, in my job, and minister to others in the church? What would God have me do, which boils down to, what is God's will for me in this situation? And so, hundreds, thousands of times in the year 2022, we're going to ask that kind of, those kinds of questions. Well, in order to answer those questions, you're going to have to think biblically and be prayerful and maybe ask counsel from others. But I'll tell you what, there are some areas where the Bible's crystal clear about what God's will is. And we find that here in this text. It is God's will that we be joyful, prayerful, and thankful people. That that's what we are inside, and that it comes out. It just oozes out. What we are inside is visible for all. That's God's will for us, for the year 2022, for today and tomorrow in the year 2022. So, we're going to talk about this morning, this idea of cultivating a Godward life. And these three things that are aspects of that. God desires us to cultivate a Godward, a God-leaning orientation, a God-leaning in our life. Let's pray and we'll, we'll look at these verses today. Thank you, Father, for how you've blessed us, for the times with family and friends during this Christmas season. And we look forward now to 2022. And people are making resolutions. They're talking about that. I'll lose weight. I'll exercise more. I'll eat better. I'll do this or that. And we may think about those things too and participate in some of those things. But if there is one resolution we certainly should be making this year as we look forward to 2022, it is to possess, to develop, to cultivate a Godward inner life to be joyful, prayerful, and grateful people, as we are indeed commanded here. So, Father, help us during this time. Use these verses to encourage and challenge us, to draw us closer to you. We thank you for Jesus, who we love. We pray these things in his name. Amen. So, three things, right from the text. The outline's not hard to figure out this particular Sunday. First of all, a Godward life is characterized by an unremitting joy in God, an unending, a constant joy in God. This command, rejoice always, in verse 16, indicates two things to us. First, we should be characterized by joy regardless of life circumstances. Regardless of what's happening around us, regardless of what's going on in our lives, this joy should be present. It should be part of who we are. When we who name the name of Christ possess a Godward leaning, a Godward orientation, when we are inclined toward God the way we should be, we will genuinely seek Him and therefore be filled with joy. This is not connected to what's happening around us. Joy is not the same as external, circumstantial happiness. We're happy when things go well. Things are really going well. Financially, we're doing fine, and we're healthy and strong, and our 
mortgage is paid this month and the cars are running well and just, you know, all these. And I'm really happy. I got what I wanted for Christmas. I'm really happy. The kids are happy what they got. Ten minutes later, they're playing with the box in which it came in and you wonder why you spent that 50 bucks. Just buy them the box. I'm just, I'm just really happy. Everyone's happy because the external circumstances are just working out so everything's going well. That's not what joy is. Christian joy has nothing to do with external circumstances. We know this from the context of 1 Thessalonians itself. If you read 1 Thessalonians, you're going to find that these believers, Paul's commanding them, rejoice. These believers are suffering. They're struggling. They're in the midst of persecution. Life is not going well for them. Look back at chapter 1, verse 6. I'll have you turn to a few verses here. Look at chapter 1, verse 6. 1 Thessalonians 1, 6. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word. This is when they became Christians. You became a Christian. You received the gospel. You received the word in much affliction at the hands of others. There was persecution. Because they were receiving the gospel, you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. So when they received the gospel, when they heard the gospel and trusted Jesus Christ, that whole situation was one of joy, the Holy Spirit, we note that here, but also affliction. When they trusted Christ, they immediately invited persecution and mistreatment from others. Look over at chapter 2, verse 14. Chapter 2, verse 14. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. So you became like the churches, uh, the Jewish churches. For you suffered the same things from your countrymen as they did from the Jews. The the Jews who became Christians suffered immediately from other Jews. Mistreatment. You no longer have a job here. You no longer have family. We disown you. And he's saying, you have suffered the same things from your countrymen, your families, other Gentiles are treating you the same way the Jews are treating Jewish believers. Look over at chapter 3, verses 2 and 3. 3, 2 and 3. And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith that no one be moved by these afflictions. We sent Timothy to encourage you and strengthen you and edify you so you wouldn't be moved by the persecution that you're facing. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. In other words, let's remember, as Christians, this is our lot. We're destined to be mistreated for the faith. We're going to be persecuted by others if we stand for Christ in in an an ungodly world. If we live holy lives, Christ-like lives, reflect Jesus Christ in a Christ-hating world, there are going to be repercussions from that. We're destined for that. Just know it's coming. Don't be surprised when it comes. So we see three clear passages where affliction and mistreatment is brought up by the Apostle Paul. These believers face this this, uh, persecution, these personal trials, Every day, every morning, they they arose from their beds. They anticipated mistreatment. 
They anticipated persecution. Many believers lost their jobs, their businesses because of their stand for Christ. Many believers were disowned by families, by their friends. How often do Christian husbands come home at the end of a day with no money because they couldn't find work that day? Because it's known he's a Christian. I'm not giving you a job. Not today. How many, how often were Christian wives cheated and maligned in the marketplace because of their family stand for Christ? How many times did the children of of Christian parents come home with bruised faces and bloody noses because their parents were Christians? This was common fare for these believers. And in the midst of that, what does Paul say? Rejoice always. Now, doesn't that sound a little crazy to you? From a human perspective, yes. How can you command these people who are, you know, beaten and bloodied from the world around them to always, always rejoice no matter what they're facing? How could Paul, in his wildest dreams, think that these persecuted and downtrodden believers could face all of this with joy? Well, Paul was not a blind optimist. He knew what it was to suffer, to be persecuted as well. He also knew that with God's help, trials could be faced with joy. How is it that you can do that? Face all this stuff with joy. Because the way you do this is you stop focusing on all the stuff. Where does the focus go? You're a Christian. You're forgiven of all your sins. Every single one. You have a home in heaven that you'll never lose. People on this earth can do whatever they want to you. But you won't lose that. Your eternal home is secure. You know that the hardships you're facing are somehow going to advance God's purposes. Somehow, as you're facing this and this and this, God will use those things to bring himself glory and to help you to grow. And so for those reasons, we can rejoice. God's doing something here. I don't know what. I don't know why. But there's some plan, and eternity will bring it to bear. Oh, this is what God was doing in, my, in the mistreatment that I was facing. And you can rejoice that there's a wise, all-wise plan here. This, isn't just, this stuff isn't just happening. This is happening because God foreordained it, and he will bring glory to himself in it. And we grow through trials. So I'm better. I grow closer to the Lord when I'm suffering. You, you notice that, right? When do we pray most? When things are really going well or when things are really a struggle? When do we pray most? When do we draw closest to the Lord? When do we lean on his strength more? When things are going well and I don't need his strength, I think? Or when I need it badly because I'm suffering? God uses trials. One author says, Christian joy is not dependent upon external circumstances. It springs out of the fact that the believer is in Christ and is rooted in the unfathomable blessings flowing from that union. Notice this. The Christian who remains in sadness and depression really breaks a commandment. 
in some direction or other, he mistrusts God, God's power, his providence, his wisdom. God, you're blowing it here. When we face life's trials with sadness and depression and discouragement, and there's no inner joy, we're actually questioning God. What in the world are you doing? You're blowing this. I don't deserve this. Now, what do I deserve? Somebody just tell me. If I get what I deserve, what do I really get? What do I deserve? Anyone? Hell. That's why we never ask God, please be fair with me. If God's fair, if God gives me what I deserve, it'll be eternal punishment because I'm a sinner and that's what I deserve. We always beg for grace and mercy. And when the trials come, let's not mistrust God. Let's know he knows what he's doing and let's rest in him. Secondly, we should be characterized by joy out of obedience to the Lord. This is a command. Rejoice always. This is a command. It's a Greek imperative. The real challenge here, by the way, is the word always. Isn't that right? If Paul just would have written rejoice, okay, I'm often joyful. That works. I obey that pretty well. That's not what it says. Always, 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 under every circumstance, every situation, no matter how difficult the situation we find ourselves in, we never have the luxury of disobeying by allowing joy to be replaced with despair or depression. There's never, there's never a second option here. It's always the same. Always rejoice. Now, we're going to get discouraged. We're going to be discouraged at times. And we're going to uh, face times of sorrow. There's no question. But even when we're facing times of sorrow and genuine discouragement over the circumstances of life, there must still be an inner joy in my relationship with the Lord. Because all that I have in Christ, if I'm a Christian, all that I have in Christ, none of that's lost because of these external things. And so I can weep and I can be filled with sorrow And still rest in all that I have in God. All that he's done for me. Now you say, how in the world can we do that? How in the world can I do this, really? How in the world can I be joyful in the midst of times of sorrow? How in the world can I do that? Let me remind you of a couple things. First of all, the Holy Spirit will help you. Look back at... 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 6 again. Look at 1 Thessalonians 1, 6 again. It says, You became imitators of us and of the Lord, and you received, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Notice you got affliction and joy in the same sentence. When you trusted Christ, he's saying to them, you brought on yourself a lot of struggle and trouble. But let me remind you of something else you received when you trusted Christ, the joy of the Holy Spirit. In fact, we know from Galatians that one of the, fruit of the, one of the fruits of the Spirit is joy. So my point is this. 
Yes, we're going to struggle. Yes, we're going to go through affliction. Yes, there'll be times of difficulty and hardship. Yes, there'll be times when we are in sorrow. But we're not in those things alone. We're commanded to obey here. We're commanded to rejoice always. But the Spirit of God will help us. He will aid us. You're not trying to muster up joy every moment during the trial. Okay, I'm facing all this, and I'm just going to make myself be joyful. That's not going to work. We do two things when we're struggling, folks. First, we take our eyes off the hard circumstances, and we place our eyes uh, upon the innumerable spiritual blessings that we have. First, we take our eyes off all this and we focus on the innumerable blessings we have in Christ. And the second thing we do then is we ask God for help. Father, help me to be joyful in all this. I'm struggling here and being joyful is not really what I want to do right now. I need your help and grace. Pray that the Spirit will Encourage my soul and help me to be filled with joy in Christ as I face all this. We're also commanded to be in perpetual communication with God. A a Godward life is characterized by perpetual communication with the Lord. Look at verse 17. Pray without ceasing. Many of us go through our lives doing what needs to be done. And we only ask God for help when we're in the midst of something really dire, really hard. So we just go through life. We get up in the morning, we eat breakfast, we jump in the car, we go to work, we come home from work, we deal with the stuff at home, go to sleep, and every day we just we have our stuff and we have our schedules and on this day we do this and that day we balance the checkbook on this particular day and we, we, just, we do all of our things and we go through life without praying and the only time we pray is when the, our, our normal lifestyle is interrupted by something really hard. Then suddenly we start bowing before the Lord and praying. Other than that, it's pretty much just this cycle and never changes. That's not what's commanded here, of course. That does not please the Lord. He commands us to pray very differently than that. Not just at the, you know, say, here's life and here are the high points and here's high point and then here's the low point. We pray here. We get back to normal. We don't pray. We get to the high points. We don't pray. The low point, then we pray. That's how we do it. That's not the way God's commanded us to pray. Now, by the way, when he says here, pray without ceasing, he's not referring to a formal kind of a bow your head and close your eyes prayer. By the way, don't do that when you're driving. It will not end well. He's not talking about bowing your head, and he's not talking about that. That is prayer, certainly, but he's not talking about quite that here. He's referring to a a, a recurring, a constant prayer life that grows from an attitude of complete dependence on the Lord. I'm totally dependent on God in this life situation right here. Easy or hard, I'm dependent on the Lord. 
Now, Paul is a really good illustration of how to do this, how to pray without ceasing. Uh, Turn back to chapter 3, verses 8 through 13. 1 Thessalonians 3, verses 8 through 15. Paul has this habit. He'll be writing, and he'll be even talking about how he cares for and loves his readers, and suddenly he'll kind of break out in this prayer to God. Just just kind of breaks out with it. Just kind of happens. So look at uh, chapter 3, verses 8 through 13. 8 through 12, Paul informs these believers how much he longs to see them. And in 11 through 13, he kind of breaks out in a prayer. So chapter 3, verse 8. For now we live. If you are standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you? For all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God. As we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face. And supply what is lacking in your faith. We want to see you again and help you, edify you, strengthen you, supply what's lacking. And now he breaks up off into kind of a prayer. Now may our God and Father, in fact, I'll bet you that Matt Domstick has used this. This is kind of a benediction. I'll bet he's ended a service or two this way. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all the saints. Let me read another text to you. This is 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. So then, brothers, stand firm. This is 2 Thessalonians 2, 15 through 17. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us either by our spoken word or by our letter, now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. So he basically is talking to these believers and kind of breaks out into a prayer. Why? Because as Paul talks about these things and the needs of these believers... He is reminded of how dependent he is and they are on God. And so he can't help but just start to pray in his his writing, in his conversation with these believers. He is so cognizant of his absolute dependence on the Lord during the waking hours of each day that his day is just sprinkled with prayer. It's not the low points, but throughout the day, He just realizes how dependent he is upon the Lord and his day is just sprinkled with prayer. He's not bowing his head and closing his eyes. He's driving along in his car and suddenly realizes, he sees someone pull in front of him and immediately says, immediately doesn't say, right? He immediately says, Lord, thank you for saving my life just now. A couple inches, and I'd be in the ditch, my car rolling over, and I could be dead. I'm so dependent on you for safety and for health. Thank you. Now, let's all admit, well, let's some of us admit, we're tempted 
to do that. And for whatever reason, well, because we're not inclined toward the Lord as we should be, we don't break out in thankful prayer, but we should. Now, I'll tell you what's going to happen now. On the way home today, that's going to happen to me. My wife's going to look at me and remind me. <laughs> that's the thing about being married. There's always the Holy Spirit and your spouse always there to kind of help you. And she's going to do that today or whenever it happens next. Throughout the day, as Paul's reminded of how dependent he is upon the Lord, he prays and prays and thanks God and asks for wisdom and asks for help. That needs to become our pattern. The habit we've developed, pray at the hard time, that's a bad habit, folks. Let me remind you, this is a command here. This is not just a request or a good idea or suggestion. This prayer without ceasing is, a, is, is something we should be doing every day. If we possess a Godward inner life, if our inner man is inclined toward God, we will be cognizant of our dependence on him, and that dependence will move us to pray throughout every day. Thirdly, a Godward inner life is characterized by unhampered gratitude toward God. Verse 18, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. The first half of the 17th century, Germany was in the midst of wars and famine and pestilence. In the city of Eilenburg, there lived a pastor named Martin Rinkert. Maybe you've heard of him. During one especially oppressive period, Rinkert conducted upwards of 50 funerals a day as the plague swept through his town and as the Thirty Years' War was taking place and people were dying all around him. Among those he buried, some of his family members. Every day he woke up to death and destruction. Every day he woke up planning to do 10, 15, 20, 50 funerals. People he knew and loved. People in his city. Many in his church. Some his family. And during those years of darkness and despair, when death and destruction were just all around him every single day, he wrote 66 hymns and songs of worship. One of them was, can you imagine this? Now thank we all our God. Here's the first stanza. See if this works for you. Could you write this? If every day you were planning to do 20 or 30 or 40 funerals. Now thank we all our God. With hearts and hands and voices. Every part of our being we thank you. Who wondrous things hath done. In whom his world rejoices. The world rejoices in all the wonderful things God does. Who from our mother's arms hath blessed us on our way with countless gifts of love and still is ours today. How in the world could a guy write this who has experienced all that he's experienced and is going to experience it the next day and the next day and the next day? How in the world could a guy write this? Because his focus is not on all this. 
His focus is on God and all that God has done and all that Jesus Christ has done in his life and the fact that these years are short in comparison to eternity. And so he can be thankful and joyful in the midst of all of this. Now, how, is it, how are you going to be thankful when there's the threat of losing a job, when there's protracted illness in the family, when you lose a loved one, and we all will, we all do. How are we going to be thankful when a loved one turns away from the Lord? How am I going to respond in thankfulness when that happens? When your plans crumble, when your health begins to deteriorate, when your mind begins to deteriorate, how can you be thankful in those situations? I think the idea of rejoicing always and being thankful always really boils down a lot of it to Romans chapter 8, verse 28. Remember Romans 8, 28? And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Somehow, all these circumstances are going to work together for my good and God's glory. And so I can always be thankful because I know that. One writer says this, When we come to realize that God's hand is in all things... We learn to give thanks for all things. Tribulation is unpleasant. Yet in the midst of tribulation, who would not give thanks? Knowing that the Father who loves us so greatly has permitted that tribulation only in order that his wise and merciful purposes might be worked out. Thomas writes, No combination of happenings can be termed bad for the Christian because of God's constant superintendence. No matter how bad the circumstances are and how how bad the combined situation is, really, we can never say, this is bad for us. Because ultimately, all this is the outworking of God's good and all-wise plan And this is somehow going to be a blessing to me. It will help me. And regardless of whether I see it or not, God's plan will be advanced through all this, which is what we want to see happen anyway. So we can be thankful because God's doing what he's doing. And he knows what he's doing. (coughs) And his will is best. Now, let me just remind you of of something we need to consider. Turn to Philippians chapter 2 and just take a few minutes and look at one more text. Philippians chapter 2, verses 12, 13, and 14. I want to remind you, folks, again, that we are not in this alone. How in the world can we obey these commands? All three of these are imperatives, by the way. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, And give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. These are all three commands. How in the world can I actually do these things? Can I cultivate this kind of inner life? Philippians chapter 2, begin reading in verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, I was talking about obedience, clearly, 
As you've always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. In other words, you obey the word of God, whether I'm with you or not. He's thankful for that. As you've always obeyed, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. He doesn't say work for your salvation. We don't work for salvation, but work out your salvation. So he's saying here again, obey, grow, follow the Lord. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God, notice this, because it is God who works in you, both to will and to work his good pleasure. Verse 14, do all things without grumbling and disputing. So look how this is chopped up. Verse 12, as you've always obeyed, continue to. Work out your salvation, so obey. Verse 14, obey again. Do all things without grumbling. He's talking about our obedience, our doing the right thing, our obeying the word of God, our part in it, our working. But verse 13, because, let me remind you, because it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. He's talking about how we grow. I have to work. I have to obey. I have to take the text of Scripture, humbly submit to it. That's my part. But then there's God's part. Verse 13, God is working in me to accomplish his good pleasure. So God uses my obedience to bring about my growth and Christ-likeness. So as we're trying to obey these commands, 16, 17, and 18, we know, this, we know this for sure. We're not in this by ourselves. Yes, I'm commanded, and we're commanded to obey in these three areas. But we can always bow our hearts. God, please help me to do this. Please make me a joyful prayerful, thankful person. I can't do this on my own. I'm trusting in you because of the truth of Philippians 2.13. You're the one working, and you're going to use my obedience, but you're the one working in me to accomplish your good pleasure, so please work in me in such a way that I become a joyful, prayerful, thankful person. So, folks, we know God's will for us. By the way, the end of verse 18 of 1 Thessalonians 5. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. That last phrase, for this is the will of God, really, I think, looks back on all three commands. You want the will of God? Let me tell you what the will of God is. That we be joyful, prayerful, and thankful people. If we're not sure about anything else, we know that. So now 2022. What should be the resolution? I'm resolving, this should be our thinking, to develop, to cultivate a Godward inner life. I'm resolving right now to seek to become a joyful, prayerful, thankful person. And of all the resolutions, losing weight and eating better and exercising and all the rest of it, as helpful as those things are going to be in certain areas of life, these are more, ne- more necessary. And being joyful through every circumstance, 
and sprinkling our every day with prayer and becoming a thankful person, regardless of what's going on around me, that will change everything about our lives. So let me challenge you in that regard. Thank you, Father, for this text, for these commands. We're so grateful, so grateful, that we are not to muster up these inner traits, these inner practices by ourselves because we can't do it. We don't have the ability. We know we are commanded to do these three things, but we can't do them on our own. And we're so grateful that your spirit works in our heart and life, that you, Father, minister in such a way as to help us accomplish these things. As we look forward to this next year, make us, please, people who are filled with joy. Help us to be people who focus on all that we have in Jesus Christ so much so that the challenging, sometimes devastating circumstances in our lives, that those things just fade away as we remember what we have in Christ. Father, help us to stop praying only when things are bad. Help us to develop such a dependence on you that throughout every day we just can't help it but begin to pray, to thank you, to praise you, to ask you for help, to ask you for wisdom. Make us people who pray throughout every day. And make us thankful people. Thankful for all we have in Christ. We pray these things in our Savior's name. Amen.